Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Chicago Bullseye. In this episode, I interview a shining light in the Bulls universe, Mark Janowski. I've been blessed to meet many big figures surrounding the Bulls. I can unequivocally say Mark is among the nicest guys I've met in this industry. He's just a fantastic guy. I remember sitting outside, uh, I think it was last summer, with several co-workers downtown after work, and lo and behold, Mark Janowski and his son walked by. And he gave us 15 minutes of his time to talk bulls. He recognized me from my outsider's guest appearance. Couldn't have been nicer. His son was extremely friendly, too. It was just really nice of him to do that, and it really cemented with my coworkers that I was truly a minor celebrity. And now, before we get to that interview, I want to thank our partner, IDIQ, for sponsoring this episode. In basketball, you have to know the score to make the right decisions, and in life, you better know your credit score. You've heard my prophecy of the sevens and all the good that comes from that. And with your credit score, any number that starts with a seven or higher is good. So 700 plus, you're rocking and rolling. So you need to know that number, and to get that number, IDIQ is offering all Bullseye listeners seven days for $1 to get your credit score. You can continue to their award-winning credit monitoring service after seven days, cancel at any time, or pay just $1 for your real official credit score. Please go to www.identityiq.com forward slash Chicago Bullseye. Again, that's www.identityiq.com forward slash Chicago Bullseye. Use that link. You can also find it in the podcast notes or email me at chicagobullseye at gmail.com for more information. There's also an ad at the end of this episode, which will provide you with more info. Please click on the link in this podcast and support our sponsor, IDIQ. And now, on to the interview with the great Mark Janowski. So, Mark, I can't thank you enough for joining the Bullseye. Uh, you're one of the, 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 you know, the shining lights in, in the Bulls sphere as far as knowledge, just the fountain of knowledge on the team and, and the history of the team. So I can't thank you enough for joining the Bullseye today. And this is a great moment in my history to have a, a legend like you on the show. But you're a bit of a little bit of an international man of mystery with some of the fans. Can you share with us a bit about where you grew up? What teams were you passionate about when you were growing up? And what was your first big break in the business? Yeah, I don't know if you should have started with this, Fred. You might get people to stop listening right away because I grew up uh, across the Cheddar Curtain in, uh, in Milwaukee. That's and I grew up, of course, as a fan of all those teams. Um, you know, I loved basketball, I, but my first love was, was baseball because that was what every kid seemed to get into. Your dad signed you up for Little League when you're eight years old. You played whether you wanted to or not. But when the Bucks came into existence, you know, I just fell in love with that right away. And there was a local broadcaster named Eddie Doucette who did the games on the radio. And back then, very few games were on television, so you really did live and die with the radio broadcast. And I just used to love the way Eddie Doucette could make that action come to life. And I just thought, you know, when I... When I get older, um, if I don't make it as a as a player, I I want to I want to do that. And uh, you know, I didn't get actually to do the play by play, but you know, I have been covering sports all my life, which has been a real blessing. Yeah, so those were some great periods. So the the I think what, what Milwaukee won a title in seventy two. Seventy one. 
71? 71, yeah, and they, they lost to the Celtics in seven games in 74, and that still bothers me to this day. That was the series where Kareem hit the like the 18-foot skyhook from yes. the baseline to send it to Game 7. They were going back to Milwaukee with all the momentum in their favor. You know, Milwaukee, that old Milwaukee arena was a snake pit. I mean, the noise in there was unbelievable, and I'm thinking there's no way the Bucks are going to lose that game. But Dave Collins just completely outplayed Kareem. Uh, the rest of the Bucks really didn't do much, and they got beat pretty handily at home in Game 7. So they should have won two titles before Kareem left, but uh, 74, they let that one get away. And as you can see, it still bothers me. Since you have experience then with what it's like to lose a talent of Kareem's level, I, my concern is about the future of the NBA, that people with all this movement, that eventually it's really going to potentially hurt the smaller markets and those people and those fans, those young fans that – you know, really are, are hurt when that when these players leave. Can you first comment on what that was like going through that when Kareem left Milwaukee? And also, do you feel that's an issue with potential issue with the, with the NBA? Yeah, I mean, back then, the ABA was in existence, and that was always a threat that when guys' contracts would expire that they could jump to the rival league. A couple of big stars, the one that mostly comes to mind, Rick Barry jumped uh, from the San Francisco Warriors uh, to the ABA. Billy Cunningham did the same thing from the Philadelphia 76ers. And there were guys, you know, back then that there was concern that the ABA might poach some of the NBA's biggest stars, but they didn't really have the finances to make that uh, a legitimate threat. The, the issue with Kareem was he got drafted into the NBA by Milwaukee. Back then they, they flipped a coin between the two worst teams, Eastern and Western Conference, and you know, the Bucks won that, so they got uh, they got Kareem, who was then, of course, Lou Alcindor at the time. Um, but he, he just didn't feel like uh, Milwaukee was a place where he wanted to be. I mean, he's a guy who grew up in New York City, went to Los Angeles to play his college basketball, and he basically told Bucks management that, listen, I want out. I want to go to uh, either New York or Los Angeles. And they they just thought that if they didn't grant him his trade request when his, when his deal was up, he would either go to the ABA or back then they didn't really have free agency. I don't know exactly how it worked. That was that was right about the time the whole Spencer Haywood thing came into play. But free agency wasn't really that viable of an option. The, the ABA would have been probably a more likely uh, jumping off point for him. So they honored his trade request. They got four decent players back, but it took them years to get back to be a contending team. And obviously, had he stayed, you have, you have to think they would have won another couple of titles. But, um, you know, in modern times now, with the uh, era of the petulant superstar requesting a trade and almost automatically being granted that wish. You know, I, I've mentioned on social media many times, I wish some of these organizations would just hold the line, you know, particularly the whole Anthony Davis situation in New Orleans where he had over a year and a half left on his contract and said he wanted to be traded and he only wanted to be traded to the Lakers. Of course, that was LeBron's buddy Rich Paul pulling the strings on that one. But, you know, we've seen it so many times in the last several years. You know, we saw Paul George, who just signed an extension in Oklahoma City, forcing his way out of there so he could go to the Clippers and team up with Kawhi. Uh, we, we saw the situation with Russell Westbrook and James Harden now, where, where they kind of forced their way out of their situations and are with different teams. And that's why, you know, being a Milwaukee native, I was so gratified to see that Giannis committed to Milwaukee long term. And I think a big reason for that was when he came to this country, he was basically a known, an unknown player uh, out of Greece, and, and Milwaukee stuck with him when he was a skinny, 
uh, first-round draft pick who barely played and, and kind of nurtured him through his development. And the, the city kind of adopted him. And, he, you know, he, a lot of the local restaurants would make sure he was fed and, and took care of him. And I think that, you know, growing up poor as he did, he remembered all that and wanted to stay loyal to the community. Not to say, though, that two years from now he won't try to force a trade, but for now at least it was one, it was one for the small market teams. It's just very difficult for small market teams to draft, develop, and then keep uh, a star player, and I think that is really a detriment to the, uh, you know, the overall quality of the league. No doubt, no doubt, and I, I can see with my son, who's a unfortunately I hate, I'm ashamed to admit it, a Dame Lillard fan. I mean, a lot of the kids I know aren't fans of teams; they're fans of players, and right. I, I don't think that's great for the health of the league long term. But you know, I guess we'll see. I'm, it still gets seems to get more popular and popular every year. All my apologies. I didn't know that you were. Uh, I know I had a couple comments before about Milwaukee being a glorified suburb of Chicago, so I apologize about that. And uh, I, know it's a, I know it's a great community. I lived in Menominee Falls for a period after college, uh, worked up there for a while, so I know it's a fantastic place. Uh, yeah. like to go a little yeah, bit. Ernie Von Schlader and Motors, Main Street of Menominee Falls. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Remember the jingle? I did want to get into a little bit about your history, though. So I, 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 U of I was my stopping grounds. How did you break into the the industry. What was what was your first really big job, and could you talk a little bit about how you got to Urbana in the eighties? Yeah, well, the big thing for me was when I went to college at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee. I got an internship at uh, the NBC affiliate in Milwaukee, uh, WTMJ, and the sports director there decided that you know this was the first time they ever had an intern. I was the first guy, and he thought, well, he's here. We're going to use him. So they sent me out to do stories that went on the air. And, you know, my mom and dad were still living at the time, and they got a chance to, to watch their kid doing stories on a, on a major network station, uh, you know, as a, as a college student. So that gave me a tape that I could send out, and, and uh, I started out in La Crosse, Wisconsin, a very tiny market. And then after working there about a year and a half, I moved on, to, you know, I sent a tape down to Champaign-Urbana and interviewed there, and they offered me the job and spent five years there and had a, had a great time. It was really a great run. I had a chance to go to the Rose Bowl in 84, and, yes. and uh, they had some really great basketball teams during that time, and it was a lot of fun covering Big Ten sports, you know, from football and basketball all the way down to, you know, track and field and tennis and did stories on the fencing team. I mean, we did everything, so it was it was a, it was a great experience. Uh, got a chance to do a lot of fun things, and then uh, got a chance to go back to my hometown in Milwaukee in 1987, worked at the ABC affiliate there for three years, and then really out of I heard about a job opening at Channel 7 in Chicago, and I thought, well, I'm, I'll never get it. And uh, I sent a tape down there, and the guy, the news director called me, and I almost thought it was like a crank call or something. I'm like, what, you really want to talk to me? And I went down there for the interview thinking that, all, again, I'll never get it. And I could tell from what the interview went, you know, I spent the whole day there, and they even had me do a, a demo a sportscast on set. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty serious. And, you know, a couple of days later, they called off me the job, and, you know, I've been a... Chicago and ever since. That was 1990, and this is, you know, 30 years later. Wow, that's fantastic. So all these years, though, I mean, the Bulls have been obviously a big team for you to cover. Um, right. And in your time covering the team, who has been your favorite person or player that you covered, and who was the most difficult for you to work with? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I really enjoyed covering a lot of the players. I mean, most of the guys were pretty cool. Um, you know, the way that media is structured, especially in basketball, it's, I don't want to say restrictive, but you don't really get a chance to get to know the guys that well. I mean, the media uh, availability is pretty structured in terms of they'll make one or two guys available after a practice or games, 
And, you know, unless you're a beat guy that's that's traveling on the road and really gets a chance to spend time with them, it's hard to really get to know them individually. But, um, you know, some of the guys I like, I loved Steve Kerr. He was fantastic. He still is, you know, as the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. He had that self-deprecating sense of humor that he's, that just disarmed you. You know, he just had a way of making you feel comfortable because he would tell a joke about himself and how unathletic he was and all the rest of it. But he turned out he was one of the greatest three-point shooters in NBA history and, and really contributed to that second three-peat. Um, you know, I love I love Carmen Stacy, who I'm now working with on, on a podcast, and you know he's been a great friend over the years. Stacy always had that that larger than life personality, always so uh, was able to entertain and make people laugh, and and he's brought that to make him one of the most successful local TV analysts in the country. I enjoyed talking to Michael. You know, Michael was was larger than life, but especially when I first got to Chicago, he would be at his locker before games. And you could talk to him, and, and he liked to, to you know shoot the shit about other things going on, whether it was stuff going on in entertainment or baseball or whatever. I mean, you could just talk to him like a like a regular guy. After he left, you know, after his father was tragically murdered, he was very guarded. You know, obviously there were some good friends that he still had in the media, but you know, for the rank and file reporters, it was kind of like you get you get a press conference with Michael, or that's about it. You know, he wasn't going to be uh, yeah. talking one on one to people at his locker. But there have been a lot of lot of great great players through the years. I mean, I, I, I love following Derek Rose. Derek wasn't a very outgoing guy, but he was very sincere. And, you know, obviously he had, he's had some missteps off the court, but I, I, I thought that, you know, what he did to come, come into Chicago and want to represent his city. I mean, he, he was definitely motivated trying to bring a championship to his hometown. And, and it's just a shame with all the injuries that he had that it never happened. You know, now he's, he's playing some really good basketball in Detroit. I hope he gets the chance to be traded to a contending team you know, at the deadline and, and maybe get a chance to win a ring somewhere. I think it was a question from you that led to the famous quote, why not me? Is that correct? Yeah, you know, it's funny. That, that's been replayed a lot on, on different sports shows and different, different radio uh, forums. And it was kind of a throwaway question. You know, I just asked him what his goals were. And, you know, you could tell by the answer that he was ready for that. You know, he was just waiting for the first opportunity to to actually announce that he thought he was as good as any player in the league. I just happened to be the the, the lucky sap who asked the question. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was kind of cool. You know, I, every time I hear that played back, it makes me smile. Still a great moment. And how about the difficult ones? Any ones that you had any run-ins with? Any anything you like to share? Um, you know, I didn't have any really bad experiences with anybody. Um, you know, the, the hardest one to cover was Dennis Rodman, though, because. It was such a circus around the guy. He never wanted to do an interview at his locker. You had to walk out of the locker room with him, and you have six, seven, eight, nine cameras, going, guys going backwards as you're trying to shout questions over the top. And he never, he never really said anything anyway, so it was kind of a waste of time. But you didn't, as a TV station, you didn't want to be the guy who missed it if he said something outrageous or controversial. So, you know, we'd always have to do the walk of shame after games going backwards down the hallway while he, while he said nothing and just, just reveled in the fact <laughs> we were all so uncomfortable. He was, uh, he was probably the hardest to cover. Um, you know, during the, the dark time after the championships, there were, there were some really bad teams. I, I can't imagine, you know, I'm trying to think. Eddie Robinson wasn't, wasn't the best to cover. He, you know, he got the big contract and never seemed, to, yeah. <laughs> never seemed to warm up to the whole idea of representing Chicago. He, he was not not the best to work with media-wise. But, you know, for the most part, 
guys guys have been pretty good. I think the NBA really presents itself as a media friendly league. You know, they've always been good. Uh, both David Stern and now Adam Silver are so in tune with trying to make sure that their product is featured. As you mentioned, it is a superstar driven league, and those are the guys that are featured the most. But they always want to make sure they put their best foot forward in terms of how they deal with their fan base. And I think that's one of the real strengths of the league, and why I think it's past baseball as as the second second favorite sport in America. Agreed. On to the current edition of the Red Leviathan. Do you believe the team as currently constituted will make the playoffs this season? I think they have a chance, yeah, especially with the playing format. You know, now 10 teams are going to have a shot at it, and I could definitely see them, you know, being somewhere in that 7-10 to 10 mix. It, it's all going to depend on, on improving their defense. They rank near the bottom of the league in defensive rating. They may even be last right now, and they've got to shore that up. You can't give up 121 points a game and have a chance at the playoffs. I mean, it's probably going to take in the, you know, it's a 72 game season this year. So you're probably looking at having to win, you know, 32, 33 games. Um, yeah, I think they could do that. You know, they, they gave away a couple already. Obviously they should have won that Oklahoma city game. That was horrible. And they should have won that game at home against golden state early in the year. So mm-hmm. you have those two games and then, you know, you're looking at what are they now? They're, uh, They're six, six and eight, and eight, eight, eight and six, six instead. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that may, I think that they can be in that mix. Um, obviously, Toronto's off to a bad start. I think that Nick Nurse is a really good coach, so I think they'll right the ship there. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of Orlando. Uh, I, I don't think that they have great personnel. I think Steve Clifton gets gets more out of that team than, than the talent might necessarily uh, suggest. Washington isn't playing very well. So, yeah, they could, they could be in that mix, in that 7-10 to 10 mix. So, an interesting, I agree with you 100% about shoring up their defense, and three players that really do that well are Otto, Thad Young and Garrett Temple. So it's going to be a tough decision when the trade deadline rolls around when I think all of the, all three of those players will be in demand from a contender. Uh, Boston, for example, would, I think, needs to give up a late number one for Thad Young and whatever else you want to add in there uh, in order to shore up their interior def- defense. Let's suppose Otto, Thad, or Temple could return a late first rounder from a contender, but it could cost us the playoffs. What what do you side with? Would you prefer to get a late first rounder, or do you say, you know what, this team needs to have that playoff experience, that playoff medal? Yeah, I mean that's that's a difficult decision for the front office, and, and I think that they would have a better feel for how many of these guys they're actually going to keep going forward. I mean, you and I can speculate about which guys are keepers and which guys are likely to be cast off in the next two or three years, but they, have, I'm sure they have an exact portrait already of, of who's part of the core and who's going to be cast off. You know, I don't know exactly what AK and Mark Eversley think about Thad Young and uh, Sato, for example. I, I know they like Garrett Temple because they brought him in as a free agent. He's been, he's been really good. I, I mean, at the time, I was not very excited about adding a 34-year-old Garrett Temple, but he, he's, he's played extremely well. Um, yeah. You know, he, he had the 21-point game against Dallas and played well in a starting role the other night against Houston. So I, I would like to keep Temple. I think that if you could get a, a late first-round pick for Thad Young or Sato, I would do that because, you know, next year they have a, a buyout on the last year of those deals, and I'm not sure that either one of those guys would necessarily be back just because of financial reasons. So if you could if you could get a lay first for Sato or Thad Young, I would make that move. Okay. So in an alternate universe, let's say I scrounge up enough money to put to buy the team, you'd be on my short list of candidates to run VP of basketball ops. I hire you. I got a few rapid questions for you. 
Would you explore right. trading Zach Levine? Would I would I trade him? Yes. Right now or Well, I mean, I, I, I would, think you got to trade him now, right? If you wait any longer, he's going to be his Yeah, value he's going to be a depreciating than, asset, right? Because yeah. next year will be a, a potential walk year. So, um that's a difficult call. I'm a big Zach fan. I really am. I got to know him a little bit, you know, covering the team, and, and uh, I, I think that he's very sincere about wanting to win. People have a tendency to really beat him up like a punching bag because it's the seventh year in the league and he's never been on a winning team, and, and they always say he can't play defense, and, you know, there's there's five guys on the court. Zach, yeah, Zach does make mistakes. He does get caught ball watching and he gets back cut a lot, but, you know, um, he's not the only guy in the league that that happens to. So, I'm a big Zach fan. I would like to see them keep Zach Levine. The problem is, I do understand why people say you can't build a championship team around, a, you know, a high-scoring shooting guard who doesn't have a, a completely well-rounded game. That is a legitimate criticism. So, I'm really, I'm really kind of stuck on the fence with Zach. Again, it comes down to what's it going to cost to resign him. What can you get in a trade package, and what does Mark Eversley and, and Arturis Karnischewicz feel about his value on a potential contending team down in the future? But if you're asking me, if I were the head of basketball operations, I would keep Zach, and I would try to find a way to to bring in a free agent to complement Zach as as maybe a one A 1A kind of player. Agreed. I think he could be the second best player on a championship team. To that right. end, would you, in a year and a half, give him a max deal? Well, I think you're going to have to. I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, you look right now, he's fifth in the league in scoring. He's averaging career highs and rebounds and assists. He's shooting almost 50% from the field. Um, that's a hell of an offensive player. You know, everyone talks about Bradley Beal and how great he is. He's not any better than Zach. You know, I mean, you think about it. Uh, obviously, he scored a couple more points per game last season. And for whatever reason, he's got a higher pedigree around the league. He's been around a little bit longer. But, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any difference between Zach Levine and Bradley Beal. Uh, I, I think that, that I would keep Zach. The problem is going to be with all these guys signing extensions now, this free agent class of 2021, which was supposed to be legendary, is really picked over. And, you know, if part of the strategy of the Bulls front office was to go into free agency and get that top star, that guy's not available this year. And now they're going to have to wait and bide their time to see if somebody becomes unhappy, some superstar tries to force a trade, and then, then they'll have to try to pounce that way. Because there's really nobody in this upcoming free agent class, after all the extensions, that, that is going to make a huge difference to your franchise. And that's a good segue into my next question. As VP of Basketball Ops, Laurie Markinen is going to demand, I think, quite a bit, due to the fact that there's not going to be a lot of great options out there for many teams, and a lot of teams are going to have a lot of money to spend. If he gets a restricted free agent offer of, let's say, $20 million per year, are you matching that deal? Yeah, I would, uh, I would swallow hard and I would do it, yeah. I think that you know we found that situation with Zach Levine a few years ago where he got the uh, offer sheet from Sacramento at around $19 million per, and, and they matched that, and I thought that was kind of a no-brainer. With Lowry, it's a little more complicated because of his injury history and the fact that, it, that he's been very inconsistent through his three-plus seasons in the league. But, you know, he's a seven-foot guy who can put the ball on the floor, who can score inside and out, and is a pretty good defensive rebounder as well. Uh, those guys don't grow on trees. And, and I think that unless you knew you could, you had a deal in place to get an elite star and you had to keep that, you know, that cap room available, I think that you, you go ahead and, and you keep Lowry. What is the number that you say, you know what, we're not going to match that? Is it $25, $30 million a year? I mean, look at Otto Porter Jr. has a twenty. He's making $25, 26000000 a year. I think it's entirely possible if Lowry keeps on putting up the numbers he has, 
he's going to get 27, 28 million potentially. Well, you know, I've kind of changed on, on that old philosophy. I always used to think that it was really important to try to keep your books as clean as possible for the future. But now it seems like the big players are moving through trades and, and they're, they're, the players and their agents are, are, are saying which city they want to go to and the agent helps work out the trade with the two front offices. So, you know, I, I used to think that, well, if you, if, you got, if you overpay for a guy, it's really going to hurt you down the road. Just about any contract can be traded now. So, you know... I would not max out Lowry Markkinen, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me. I think a max would start at like $27 million or something like that. I wouldn't do that. But, you know, it would have to be that or pretty close to that for me to, to just let him walk because, as I mentioned, he's, he's a versatile seven-footer, and it's, it's difficult. If you let him go, how do you replace him? You know, then, then you start going into the free agent market and getting, getting replacement-level guys. Um, if you if you find out after a year or so that you don't really like the fit or Lowry's progress is kind of stagnated, you can always trade him. You know, I, I used to think three five years ago that you'd be stuck with that contract. Well, we've seen in the league over the last few years that you can trade just about any contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can move Chris Paul and his forty three million dollars and Russell Westbrook and his forty four million dollars, you you can trade anybody. Two more quick questions and thanks, Mark, for your time today. I can't thank you sure. for it. Uh, Kobe White, you know, a lot of the big question for me is this year, can he play a point guard position? I love Kobe White. He's 20 years old. I think he's shown immense uh, improvement over the course of, you know, his young career. But, you know, there's still questions out there whether or not he can play the point guard position. What do you think about Kobe White? Do you feel like he can become a point guard, possibly in the, you know, Damian Lillard model of point guard as a combo guard more so? Or do you feel like, you know what, the Bulls need to make some moves and have him play the off guard position? Well, we've seen even through this brief sample size uh, of this current season that Billy Donovan is not 100% sold on Kobe White as his lead guard. Matter of fact, they've actually had Zach playing more point guard in recent games, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing Zach's assist totals climb and, and the fact that we've been hearing more talk about Zach being a more efficient player because they're putting the ball in his hands and let him make some decisions in terms of you know getting into the offense and making the right reads. Um, Kobe is so young, 20 years old, uh, only played one year at North Carolina, came into the league in kind of the Ben Gordon role where he was just allowed to, to come in and get as many shots up as you possibly can. And now he's the starting point guard. And, you know, there are some games where you think, yeah, he's, he's getting it. And there are other games where he'll, he'll make some bad turnovers and make some bad decisions with the ball. And you go, wow, he's got a long way to go. I keep reminding myself he's only 20. This is his second year in the league. He's got Billy Donovan and a Hall of Fame point guard and Maurice Cheeks on the bench to help him out. I think that we need to give him some time and see if he can grow into the role. But the early returns are that you can see that the coaching staff isn't confident right now in his ability to run that offense efficiently for the 30 to 35 minutes he's going to be on the court. And I think when Thomas Sadaransky gets back, you know, you may see uh, Kobe's role diminish even a little bit more. So this is going to be a kind of a prove-it season for Kobe, as it is for so many guys on this roster, to see if they're going to be part of this core going forward. My, my opinion is yes, but our tourists might think differently. The final question, I know you and I both saw eye-to-eye on Isaac Okoro. I mean, I, I love the guy, and I think he's been a yeah. tour de force for Cleveland and a big reason why they're much better, taking on the, the best offensive player on the, on the opposition every night. But Patrick Williams is, I mean, there's no doubt about it, he surprised me with his shooting just overall. Let's just get your 411 on him, and do you feel like this is this is what we're going to see, and can he play the three going forward? I've been very impressed with Patrick Williams. You know, uh, when I heard 
the speculation before draft day that they, that was their likely pick. I'm like, wow, that's that's kind of a reach for a kid who didn't start one game in college and really did, what he averaged like nine points a game at Florida State. And right. I'm thinking, this is the guy you're going to bring in. Um, but they obviously scouted him very thoroughly. They went to, down to Florida to visit him and talk to him. They're very impressed by the young guy. And he seems like a real mature 19-year-old kid. I mean, we've heard rave reviews when you've got LeBron James, you know, saying that Chicago got a good one, that the kid's laser-focused and got Kawhi-like hands, and, you know, I, I had to be careful with the ball because he could he could poke it away. That's a pretty good endorsement. And Kawhi himself even said that, you know, he's very impressed by um, Patrick Williams' game, even though he lit him up in that game out in Los Angeles. But, you know, I think that he's going to be a really good player, I think he's more of a four than a three, which creates problems for you down the road, and that's one of the reasons why I, I really liked Okoro, because I thought he had been a perfect fit for the lineup. Yeah. But, you know, the way the NBA is trended now, you can kind of throw positions out the window. That's why I'm not fixated. Is Kobe White a point guard? Is Patrick Williams a small forward? If those guys are, you know, above average to potential all-star NBA players, it doesn't matter what position you want to designate them in. They're going to be a positive impact on winning. And I think Patrick Williams turned out to be a really good pick. And, you know, we talked about Okoro. Obviously, he's three inches shorter and, you know, not as physical as Williams. And it'll be interesting to see which player ends up having the better NBA career. I mean, when you look at these last three drafts with the Bulls, had the seventh pick, or, you know, and then the fourth this year, you're thinking, well, we have to measure how those guys, how their NBA careers developed in terms of what they could have had later in the draft. And, you know, the jury will, will render its verdict a little bit later on. But, you know, through through these first 14 games, I've been very impressed with Patrick Williams, and it looks like uh, the front office did well with their first draft pick. Mark, thank you so much for joining the Bullseye. Where can people find you now? In the podcast world, anybody who's listening to this show, please go out and subscribe to the two casts that you're on now. Let's let's hear a little bit about them. Yeah, I've been uh, really busy, you know, talking about the Bulls in the league on a, on a number of different forums. I'm doing two podcasts that air on a weekly basis. The one that uh, people I hope will check out first is the Gimme the Hot Sauce podcast. Of course, that's Stacy King's trademark line, and and Stacy is the star of the show. Uh, I'm the humble host and setup guy. Uh, you know, I play. Uh, Ed McMahon to his Johnny Carson. I mean, he tells some fantastic stories, just hilarious storytelling about his days as a player, some of his experiences growing up in Oklahoma, um, you know, his life as a broadcaster on the road, and you know, he's brought in some of his old teammates. We, we just taped one uh, yesterday with Bill Cartwright, tells some great stories of uh, trying to teach a young Stacy how to, how to be an NBA pivot man. Um, we've oh, had wow. uh, Craig Hodges on and Scott Williams, Cliff Levingston, uh, you know, we, we've had a lot of fun doing it, you know, and, and we, we talk mostly basketball, but we also kind of sprayed all fields. You know, we're talking some NFL playoffs. Stacy's a big fan of uh, the WWE, so we talk some of that. And, you know, it, it's just a it's just a good time. I think if people check it out, they'll they'll really enjoy Stacy's storytelling, and I guarantee they'll get some laughs along the way. The other podcast I do is called Sharpshooters. I do that with longtime Chicago sports radio reporter uh, David Schuster. And David, like me, kind of got put out to pasture, but we weren't ready to retire yet. So we talk hoops uh, every week. And you can find both Sharpshooters and Give Me the Hot Sauce on all the podcast providers, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go to get your favorite ones. Just just check them out, um, and, and you won't regret it. Uh, the, with the Stacey King one, the one that some people have problem with, uh, spelling it. Gimme is G-I-M-M-E. So it's Gimme the Hot Sauce. 
Uh, and it's got Stacy King's name right at the top. So we hope people will check that out. And the thing I've just added recently, which I'm very, very thankful for, is getting a chance to do some TV work again. Uh, I got called by my old friend uh, Joe Riley, who I work with when uh, NBC Sports Chicago was Comcast Sportsnet. He's over at Stadium now, and they produce a nightly wrap-up show on the Marquee Sports Network. It's called The Stadium, and it airs at 5.30 on weeknights, and they've brought me on board as one of their Bulls insiders. So I get a chance to do a segment with uh, Michael Kim a couple times a week, and it's been it's been fun being on TV again. So, you know, I, I, you know even though... Uh, I'm not affiliated with one outlet anymore. Uh, it's nice to uh, to still be respected for my basketball knowledge and, and get the chance to express my opinion on a couple different platforms. So I appreciate you having me on, and I, I always enjoy following uh, everything that you post on, on social media. And I know I know people always beat you up on Denzel. I didn't get a Denzel Valentine question, but, um, you know, you're, you're, you're fighting a good fight, I was afraid what the answer Fred. was going to be. <laughs> I was no, he, he's, done, he's done really well. He's been he's fit really well in that bench group. The issue is going to be though when Sato and uh, Hutchison come back, you can't play twelve guys. And and my fear is for you is yes. that Denzel could lose those minutes. But you know it might it might turn out that they go a different direction with that. You know they may you know they've been going small at times with. Thad Young is a small ball five, so maybe maybe Denzel will stay in the rotation. I think he's going to go with a twelve, you know, ten man rotation per game, but twelve guys are going to see time depending on the matchups. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, who knows? I mean, there's there's just too many good guys on this team. You know, some people are going to laugh at that remark, but there really are twelve players who I think are deserving of minutes. But you know, he's only going to go with a nine or ten man rotation, and. Uh, yeah, Denzel's played great. I think you know. I don't want to get. get I was worried you're going to say. I was going to ask you if you would resign him as a VP of operations, but I was worried about the answer. But hey, Mark, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I mean, you're truly one of the nicest. Uh, I, first of all, incredible basketball knowledge. I always love listening to you, and especially one of the nicest people I've met as a Bulls prophet, you know, slash uh, super fan. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time to. to spend today with on our my, my little podcast so thank you so much and I, I wish you all the best going forward with all this stuff and obviously we'll keep uh, communicating on bulls twitter it's a fun place to be so thank you so much fred is my pleasure i really enjoyed it and let's get uh let's get on top of this pandemic so we can all get together and uh have a couple of beers and talk about our favorite teams. That'd be fantastic thanks again mark identity iq services offers industry-leading credit report monitoring and identity theft protection Benefits include monthly three bureau credit reports and scores, so you can be prepared when you apply for a loan or other credit. Along with credit report monitoring, Identity IQ services include identity theft protection, dark web and internet monitoring, and $1 million in stolen funds reimbursement, underwritten by AIG. You can start Identity IQ services today for only $1 for a seven-day trial. Sign up today at www.identityiq.com slash Chicago Bullseye. Identity IQ services has been named to the Inc. Magazine 5000 list as one of the fastest growing companies in America. Let Identity IQ services help you work towards your credit goals. Visit www.identityiq.com slash Chicago bullseye only one dollar for a seven-day trial 